Hello, this is Dr. Tia Barnes, and welcome to the Scholarly Self-Care Podcast, where we will talk all about the SEL, or social-emotional learning, in self-care. This podcast is for educators, parents, and caregivers of children and youth. Each week, we will talk about your well-being to put you in a better space to support the well-being of the children in your life. Ready to get started? Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have an amazing guest with me. Her name is Dr. Lorea Martinez-Perez, and she is an award-winning founder of Heart and Mind Consulting, which is a company dedicated to helping schools and organizations integrate social and emotional learning in their practices, products, and learning communities. As an educator who works with children and adults internationally, Dr. Martinez is a faculty member at the Columbia University Teachers College, educating aspiring principals in emotional intelligence. Her second book for educators, Teaching with the Heart and Mind, is currently available, and we will definitely have the link to that to share, and we'll talk more about that during our episode. Previously, she was a special education teacher and administrator. To learn more about her, you can go to her website at loreamartinez.com. And again, we will include that information in the show notes. So welcome, Lorea. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Tia, for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. Oh, yes, definitely. So I, you know, I've had a chance to get to know you over the last couple of years from our work in different organizations, but I'd love for you to just take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience and tell them a little bit about you. Sure. So my name is Lorea Martinez. I'm originally from the Costa Brava in Spain. I've been in the U.S. for about uh, 15 years. And my background is in special education. That's where I started my teaching career. And right now I'm focused on social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been consulting for the past seven years after finishing my doctoral dissertation, uh, which was focus on studying how teachers implemented social-emotional learning in a K-8 charter school and really looking at what were some of the conditions that made that implementation possible. So not so much from the student's perspective, but from the teacher's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'm very passionate about SCL. It's a time topic that I love and I was so glad to that we got to connect over the SCL special interest group at ARA and glad that we are having this conversation. Yes, definitely. So I would love to hear more about your consulting and also how that links because I when I introduced you to the audience, I talked about how you now have a book that's coming out, Teaching with a Heart in Mind. So can you talk a little bit more about your consultancy, what you're doing there, and then also how it links to the book and what the book's about. Sure. So my consulting work is focused on helping people and organizations to implement social emotional learning, either in their teaching practices, their organizations. And I've done also consulting with media companies, helping them to think about their products from an SEL standpoint. 
And through my work with, with teachers and with schools, I realized that I wanted to create a model that was easy to implement because many times when I would try to present and, and have teachers explore the concepts of SEL, sometimes it's hard to put your hand on what is it that when we talk about self-awareness, for example, where is that? Or what is self-management? So that's how I, that's why I created the HARD model. And HARD is an acronym that stands for five different skills. And for example, you know, just to give you a, a teaser for the book, the first competency in the HARD in my model, the H stands for honor your emotions. So with that, I wanted to put an action, a verb to what it is that we do when we are trying to know ourselves and the importance of really looking at emotions as information and data that we have and that we can develop the ability to interpret so we can make better decisions. So the book really is, it has kind of like these two parts, one which is the, the guidance that I wish I had when I was a special ed teacher working with students, because when, you know, when I was in the classroom, we didn't talk about SCL. We may have talked about the emotional needs of students and maybe their, their social skills, but we didn't have this understanding of all this set of competencies that students need in order to be successful, not only in school, but also as functioning adults. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is that as I was working with schools and districts, I realized that it was difficult to see the connection that it exists, being able to teach these skills and doing it in a way where teachers are able to reflect and practice the skills themselves. And that's why a, a very important part of the book is the what I call the wholehearted educator which looks at what are some ways in which teachers can come to SEL, not only from the student perspective, but from their own perspective, looking at the skills, how they can model for students and how they those skills also impact and influence their well-being, their life satisfaction, and how they engage on a regular basis with their everyday lives. So I love, love this idea of the heart and mind and I think one of the things that really stands out for me that I'm super excited about is the fact that you have that applied knowledge and and provide that support in terms of taking actionable steps. Because one of the things that has really been coming to mind for me, even in my own social and emotional journey, is just the idea that the social and emotional learning is so very different from academic learning in that it's not necessarily about the knowledge. It's more about applying the things that you're learning. So we can learn all that we want about the competencies and what the competencies are and how they're supposed to look. But unless we're actually implementing it and taking the action on it, it's not going to make as big of a difference. And so I love that you include that as part of your work. Absolutely. And and the thing is that, you know, for many of us, we come to this work from a very cognitive, rational place. Mm -hmm. We want to understand how we can support students to be, to master academic standards or want to support students to graduate from high school so they can go to college. And at the core of why teachers go to teaching is because they want to see those students thrive. They want to see those students pursuing opportunities. They want to see their students like finding themselves in the process, realizing who they are and fulfilling that potential. 
And in order to do that, you got to bring the heart, Mm -hmm. right? So we got to bring and teach how we can connect our rational brain and all this wealth of information that emotions bring to our lives. Because emotions are our motivator. Emotions are what get us to do things that are hard, what may hinder our ability to take a risk or to you know, get out of outside of our comfort zone. And if we are more of an introvert to go and and make new friendships, yes. right? So when yes. we are able to practice that connection between, you know, the, the mind and the heart for, for ourselves as educators and see that it is so much easier that we can teach that effectively to our students. But I think that it, it takes that step of really looking at truly what is the final goal that you have for your students and then realizing that the, the path to get there is by using both mind and heart and, and doing, you know, like the book says, it's teaching with the heart in mind, like knowing that you got to cultivate, you got to nurture that heart in order for students even to pay attention to what you are saying in class. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is so great. I think something else that's coming to mind for me as you're talking through this is when we talk about things like social emotional learning, in some cases, one of the common things that comes up is, oh, this is just another thing that teachers have to take on. It's one more thing added on to their plate. And of course, teachers are definitely overworked and they have a lot going on. But I look at this as, in the way you're explaining it, something that can definitely provide them with support. Because in a sense, it seems like you're saying for the teacher, it's really getting in tune with their own emotions, their own emotion regulation, applying these things in their own lives to then be in a place to apply it for their students in their life. Right. And there's something that, that I talk about in the book, which is the fact that the way the brain learns we don't have this cognitive skills and the emotional skills separately. So the latest research on effective neuroscience has shown and has proven that those two sets of skills work together in order to do things like make decisions or process information or be able to learn new concepts. So the idea that we kind of leave the emotions at the door and in order to focus on academic content is obsolete. So what we know today is that in order for the brain to learn, we need to ignite and we need to spark that curiosity in our students. And I think that even if research has shown that now, I think that effective teachers knew that a long time ago, right? If a student Definitely. is is not curious about what's learning or it's boring class, they're not going to learn the content. They're not going to be paying attention. Uh, but what the book does is go into depth about what are those findings and what you can do as a teacher to integrate emotions in the classroom. And even for things that you wouldn't think that are emotion related, but for example, giving students choice, it's a way to integrate emotions in the classroom because mm-hmm. You know, the brain doesn't pay attention to things for which we don't care about, right? If we are not interested in a particular subject or topic, our brain is like, yeah, that's not interesting to me. I'm not going to pay attention. Mm -hmm. So a way to engage that emotional side is to offer students choices within, you know, within a certain limit and to say, okay, you, you have the choice to, for example, study something that you are passionate about. And then the teacher can bring the structure to say, 
we're going to do it this way, or these are some certain process that we're going to follow, but truly to let the student lead in terms of the things that they want to learn. And that's an example of a way to integrate SEL into the classroom uh, that maybe, you know, when teachers think about how to integrate SEL, they might not be thinking that that could be an option because they might be thinking about the traditional, oh, I need to, you know, to teach about emotions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about like what sparked your interest in this work and looking at things like social and emotional wellness. It seems like, you know, this is something that you've definitely done a lot of thought around. You spent a lot of your time in this area when you have a PhD in it, all of this. So what really sparked you to get into this area? Yeah, so when I was doing my doctoral program, I was working full time, which was a very fun part of my life, which we can talk about another day. <laughs> but I, I, I was working in data and assessment, I was working for a, a large order management organization. And the, the focus of was to really look at student achievement and to help schools analyze that data, try to drill down on that data and being able to identify, you know, ways to support these students to improve their achievement. But I always had that because my background was in special education and I had made the transition to data and assessment, I knew that there was this other part of skills that we were not looking at when we were just looking at student achievement, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't know anything about the whole child. Like, what were some of the other skills that the student was able or, you know, maybe the conditions, the learning conditions in the classroom were not appropriate for that student to give their best work. So I, that's how I, I came to social emotional learning. And at the time I was enrolling my program and I had to decide, okay, what's going to be the focus of my dissertation and my research. And I decided to focus on SEL. And at the time it wasn't, the field was, wasn't almost known. But as I was researching and doing more work, I realized, oh, wait, there were people. And at the time, it was a small group of researchers who had been looking at these skills, who had been identifying core competencies that could help students. And they were starting to realize the many connections that these skills have to uh, not only academic achievement, but as I said at the beginning, like life satisfaction and also well-being. Mm-hmm. So when I finished my doctoral work, I knew that this is the work that I wanted to do. It was true in my heart. I wanted to help people to learn these skills, to practice these skills and help schools to be able to implement them effectively. And this is what I've been doing since I finished my doctoral work. Okay. And so within your work, looking at the heart and mind, I'm going to call it a framework. Please correct me if I'm wrong. How do you define social and emotional well-being? For me, it has these five, you know, as I, I mentioned, the five skills mm-hmm. that form the heart in mind model. And when you look at it from a holistic perspective, they are the foundation of what it means to, to be well, right? Okay. If you practice and apply these five skills in your life, I think that you have the capacity to really take care of yourself and your needs, but also to be able to support others in doing the same. And there is the last competency in the heart in my model, which it's the T in heart is transformed with purpose. And mm-hmm. purpose is a, a concept that it 
it's not often explored in SEL frameworks. And I really like the fact that when we look at our own place in the world to explore and wonder what is our contribution to the well-being of others. Mm. What is the gift that we have inside that we can give to others? And that's why the T for Transform with Purpose is there, is to give people an opportunity to explore doing something that is bigger than themselves, starting with their strengths and the things that they are interested. And I think that connecting that purpose with the rest of the competencies in the heart in my model can really truly ground you and give you a strong foundation for self-discovery, but also for being the person that you want to be in the world. I love that. I love how you expanded beyond just focus on the person and to why it's so important to focus on the social emotional well-being uh, for the greater good of the community and for the greater good of the world. So thank you for adding that piece in there. I think that's an important piece to definitely make sure that we're including. So from your book, let's go back to that. What do you think is the one message? If you had to sum it up to one thing, what is the big message that your book shares about social and emotional wellness and about social and emotional learning? So I would say that the tagline for the book could be summarized in it's not about the kids, it's about the adults. Mm. And that's something that I have learned through my years of consulting and working with teachers and in, in trying to help them implement curriculum or look at their teaching practice. I realized that unless the teacher was really clear about how those skills made sense in their own life, they would not engage with the content in an authentic way. So what I share with teachers is that you cannot teach what you don't practice, Mm. right? We, We cannot ask students, and there's a place there about being coherent, right? And there's another part around, well, so let's stay with the coherent part. If we are asking students to share in class about their emotions, or to practice, you know, a few tools to be able to navigate their emotions through mindfulness or taking a break. We're teaching all these things to kids. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to do that as adults as well. Yes. Right? I- if the teacher is is not sharing about their own emotions or a situation in the classroom that is frustrating to them, then students see that right away because you cannot engage in SEL work unless you are being authentic about who you are Mm -hmm. and how you put these skills into practice. Oh, Lorraine, I love that. I love how you bring up the authenticity piece. That's something that I definitely been thinking a lot about in the work, specifically around more self-care, but it also relates to that social and emotional wellness. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how teachers can go about bringing their authentic selves and parents, because we do have parents also listening to the podcast. Yes, we cannot be kind of authentic without a context, right? Mm -hmm. So we are who we are, but we are, we live in a context. So when I talk about authenticity, what I mean is that first is that path of self-discovery is like, who are you, right? To ask that big question, and be able to identify how that person is going to be in the world, how you want to show up, what's your presence, what are the things that are important to you. Mm. And interestingly enough, there are many teachers that have told me nobody has asked me that before in a working environment. Yeah, no, I, right? I, that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It does. It's kind of like you come here, you do this job, and 
even though that's more or less the expectation that comes about, we do bring ourselves to work with all of who we are. And so I love that, you know, you brought that, that up. Yes. And, and I think that when you do that work, it has such, has such a big impact on the culture of your school. If teachers really know each other, if there's a sense of trust in the group, if teachers honestly care for each other's well-being and an ability to do their work well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a teacher in the classroom where I had very supportive colleagues and also when I was completely isolated. And mm-hmm. it's almost like your heart breaks, right? When you feel isolated and you are you feel like you are alone in your classroom, you cannot put in forward your best word. Yeah. Work. But when you have a staff where you see eye to eye, when you can work together, even when you have challenging students, you know that you can move forward and you can do it because you are doing it together. And the other aspect around authenticity that I want to touch on is the fact that sometimes we have, or many times, because there are, you know, 80% of teachers in the U.S. are white women, is the question of like, who are you teaching, right? And being able to keep your authenticity while you are also honoring the students that you have in front of you, right? To really know who your students are, to know what are their values, what are their interests, what are the things that really spark their curiosity, and being able to be like that great learning environment with Mm -hmm. your students. And I think that part of that work of self-discovery has to do also with knowing what is your racial identity and having clarity around how you position yourself and who your students are so you can really do it, grounding it on your students and not centering on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. When you first initially started talking about um, or brought up that amazing, what what exactly did you say? And I'm trying to remember, you said you can't teach what you don't practice. Yes. You can't teach what you don't practice. And then also linking that to the authenticity piece. The first thing that came to mind was, oh, culturally responsive pedagogy and the fact that, you know, how are we going to create these connections if we still have that attitude and the mindset of I'm going to come to work and put on this work persona, but then we're, we're hoping to make connections with our students when we're not being, you know, our authentic selves and how important that is, especially if we're trying to connect with students who may be very different than us and we're asking them to bring themselves to the table so that we can make those connections and then be able to provide them instruction in a way that is relevant and supportive of them and how important that piece is. And the fact that you said that for the teacher, in the example you brought up, that no one has even ever asked her to do that, you know, it's definitely a key piece that we're missing as we try to move more in that direction of equity and, you know, cultural relevance in our schools and also the emotional piece, the social and emotional piece. So... Yes, and I, I think that this is what has come out during the pandemic, right? The, I think that the fact that we had to go to distance learning and all the issues that have come up because of that shows how fragile mm-hmm. our classrooms were to start with, yes. right? And I think that if we had been leading our educational work through relationships, we would have seen different results in distance learning because you would still find ways to lead with the importance of relationships. And one of the things that I I saw 
when the switch was done and the the pandemic hit, uh, especially the first few months, is that many teachers move to giving busy work. Going back to kind of like the old like sheets and and just keep busy without paying attention to what what were the emotions that students were feeling, what were some of the situations, and just creating a safe space for students to come together mm-hmm. versus I'm just gonna give students busy work to do. And I like, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter and someone was asking recently, what have you learned about teaching during the pandemic that you want to make sure that you remember by the time we go back to the classroom? And the answers, you know, if you do like a thematic analysis of all the answers, I think I would say maybe 90% were STL related. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a need. It's definitely something that, as you mentioned, even with the pandemic. So I know you're talking about the pandemic in, in terms of how it revealed certain things, but I think definitely one of those things was the need. I feel like that need was already, was definitely already there. And, you know, in previous surveys, it did show, but I think even now it's something that has come to the forefront in such a way. So, yeah. So now I wanted to talk a little bit about self care. And hear a little bit more about your own self-care journey. So what has been your journey and what have you learned on this journey? One of the things that I've learned is that um, unless you prioritize yourself, nobody's going to do it for you. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm specifically thinking I have two young kids. Um, Mm -hmm. They are six and eight. And I remember when they were a little younger thinking, oh, I just don't have time to go for a walk, to exercise. It was always something, right, between work and the kids being little. Yeah, it felt like they were someone was always sick, trips to the doctors, which meant you were missing work, and just trying to balance everything. And the last thing on the list, right, was always like, okay, what are my needs? Yeah. And I know that the exercise, which is my, you know, one of the tools that I have for self-care, it was out of the picture. I didn't perceive at the time that I, I was able to create that space for myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think I hit bottom one, you know, one day and I realized unless I make the time, nobody's going to help me make the time. That's so true. I decided, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And I made a deal with myself and I said, okay, you are going to go and exercise in the morning. And if your day, your work day starts a little later or you are able to do less work that day because, you know, you are investing these 45 minutes or an hour to exercise, that's what's going to happen. And when I made that decision, like it really, you know, it was a, a crucial moment because I've been able to exercise consistently and to just create that space for myself, I realized that it was not only the creating the space, but believing that I deserve to have that time for myself. Love that. And so we have folks that are listening to this podcast. For a lot of them, it, it is to learn more about what they can do in terms of self-care and also their social and emotional well-being. Can you talk a little bit about how this idea of self-care links to the book that that you've just released? Sure. So I think they are they are connected, right? I think that the 
if you are, if you have this awareness of these skills, right? These social emotional skills that you have in your life, you are looking at yourself as a person that is worthy of love, of time, of care. Yeah. And then you realize, well, what, what are those things that I can do to make myself feel good about myself? Right. And in my case, exercise is one of the tools. And in the book, I talk about the importance of, you know, this wholehearted educator to being able to look at what are some of those, you know, sometimes it's small things that you can do. But at the core of this work, I think that is like cultivating this belief that you are worthy of giving yourself that love and that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. I both for parents and teachers, because in the past when I've done some workshops on like self-care, one of the main things that comes up is that idea of, well, if I take time to do that, then, you know, how's that going to affect the other things in my life? Like, how am I going to take time for self-care when I need to use that time to get my lessons prepped or spend time with my own children um, and my own family after leaving the school and even with parents and speaking as, as a special educator, I know you are as well. We've done some self-care work with parents and that was one of the major things that came up. They felt like even in thinking about respite care and whether or not it even was available for them. So that of course was one barrier, but even in cases where it was, it was just this feeling like I can't do that. I have to go to work. I have to come home and take care of my child who may have special needs. And, and that's it. Like I just, it was kind of, I think one of the the main things as you're saying is getting them to that place of feeling okay about taking that time to then move to the place of actually taking action. But yeah, it's a big barrier for some. Yes. And, and going back to the, the first skill in the heart and mind model, which is honor your emotion, something that comes for me as a, as a working mom is guilt, mm-hmm. right? And guilt is, is not an easy emotion to swallow because you, you feel like, okay, if I'm taking this time for myself, I'm not giving it to my children, right? Yeah, but if yeah. you sit with it for a little bit longer, I come to realize, well, unless I take this time for myself, I will not be the mom that I want to be for my kids because I'm going to be cranky. I'm going to be stressed. I'm probably going to yell and snap and and just not be in a good mood or be fun to be around. But I know that if I put my shoes on and go for a run, when I come back, my energy level is higher. My, my mood is better. Right. And then I, I can be present and excited to be with them. Right. So I think that many times what happens is because you have those feelings that are not easy feelings to have, you cannot, you know, you move away from them instead of realizing, okay, what is this guilt telling me about how I want to parent? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. So using those emotions as clues. into uh, what things you need to problem solve around. I love that. Exactly. And I think that once you engage in that process of really looking at and being able to interpret your emotions, then you you have more tools to make the decision. 
Because if you stay with it for a little bit longer, you'll see that the connection and the benefit of you taking that time is higher than the, the, the consequence of spending that time less with your children or taking care of, of a chore or whatever that is that you need to do. Yes, definitely. And so I wanted to know, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners about, about your work, where they can engage with you? I would say that it, it is a process in terms of really looking at these SEL skills and the self-care. I think that because you are going to find that there are different challenges and different experiences that you go through as an educator or as a parent, what the skills do is they give you the foundation in order to bring yourself up to the task. And then as the challenges come, you'll be able to recognize it and look at those emotions and then make decisions that are supportive of, you know, your work, your family and yourself. But this is not one of those things that there's a checklist, right? Where you can say, ABC, I have done those three things and I'm done, right? Like I think that the pandemic showed us and and a friend of mine said recently, I didn't think that I was this strong. And I thought that was such an important message because we have been challenged in so many ways and we still have come and shown compassion for our students, for our kids. We have made time to, you know, play games and and have important moments of connection. So we can do this. We can do this, but we, we do need to have the clarity about what are those skills that we can put into place in order to make it happen. Thank you, Lorea. As you were saying that, something else that came to my random question, but <laughs> hopefully you can answer this for me. Ideally, like how would you um, want readers to engage in the book, with the book? I always wonder that because there are some books you read and, you know, you, you kind of, when you mentioned the checklist, it's kind of like, okay, I read this book. Now where, <laughs> where are my results, right? So how do you want folks to engage with it? Is it something that, yeah, ideally, what would it look like? Would it be them doing it as part of a book club? Would it be them going, you know, a little bit at a time and, and doing any of the activities? Like what would be ideal? Yeah. So ideally, I, I would say that you would engage with others in reading the book, talking about it, and then implementing the many, you know, strategies and activities that are suggested in the book. And something that I did that I think the the reader will appreciate is that the book is divided in like three main sections mm-hmm. and they can be read separately. Of course, you want to read the entire book, but for example, the section around the wholehearted educator and really looking at, you know, this idea of practicing the skills we want to teach to the kids, that's something that you can do almost like a book club only on that section, mm-hmm. right? And then there's the other section around all the activities that you can do in the classroom to teach and integrate the heart in mind model. So for each one of those five skills, all the activities and, and uh, different exercises that you can do. And then the third part, which is the first section in the book, is like all the research around the influence of emotions in learning, relationships, the importance of relationships, and then how adversity impacts learning. 
So the three of them, like truly, like if it, if someone who's an educator reads the book, it is a complete guide. So you have from the research base to the teaching strategies to how you can take care of yourself and how you practice this in your own professional life. But, you know, that was a long, long way to answer that. I think that this work needs to be done in community Mm -hmm. and hopefully, you know, groups of teachers will come together to discuss the books and to really do the work and keep each other accountable. Right. Because I, I've learned so much from trying things in my classroom, but then talking to colleagues and saying, Oh, how did that go? What did, how did you do it? And then learning from their adaptations and then sharing my successes, but also the things that didn't work so well for me. I think that's the way that we can help each other, but also make sure that more and more classrooms are using this and and teaching these skills. Love that. And so one other thing that comes to mind as well as you're talking is, do you have a particular grade level in mind for this? Is this something that you can see educators using across the grade span. So from early childhood through 12th grade or even beyond, like what what would you think um, about the audience, the target audience for this? I would say the ideal educator is early childhood through high school, because many of the strategies that I discuss in terms of integrating the skills in the classroom, mm-hmm. you can integrate them easily in high school type assignments. And something that I'm really excited to share with the readers is that I've created a scope and sequence for each one of those five skills that goes to the adults. Nice. And and the reason why I did that is because I wanted, you know, because I have this section on the wholehearted educator to be able to share if you are putting these skills into practice in your life. These are some indicators of mastery. Mm-hmm. These are some things that you would see yourself doing and knowing, oh, yes, I, I am applying that skill because that is another aspect of we need to be able to identify like what is the concrete skill in order to be able to apply it as we are learning and practicing and improving our craft. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, I love that. I think that, you know, having that scope and sequence for the adults definitely gives them something tangible to work through. And as educators, I know we love our scopes and sequences. So I think that's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's very unique in having that for the educator to use with themselves. So that's great. And so, Lorea, how can our um, listeners connect with you, find out about the amazing work that you're doing? I know you write blogs, which are amazing as well. And I've very much been enjoying those. So how can they connect? Yes, yeah, so people can go to my website is loreamartinez.com and they can find information there about the book and they can subscribe to the blog. The first chapter of the book is currently available for free on my website. You just need to put in your email address and then you receive a, an email with the download. And the book will be out on February 17th. So pretty soon. It's currently available on pre-sale, both in print and also as an ebook. So if they go to my website, they can find all that information there. Okay. Thank you so much, Lorea, for coming on and um, having such an amazing conversation about your work and the book. And I'm so excited about it and excited uh, for you. So congratulations on it again. Thank you, Tia. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks. Bye.
So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did with Gloria. She is, she's amazing. And I'm so excited about this new book she has coming out or that is out now (laughs) when you guys are listening to this. Because, you know, just from reading her blogs and getting a chance to work with her, I know that she thinks just so intensely about the idea of social and emotional well-being for educators. Uh, Some of the key takeaways that I, I had from this conversation. The first one was when she said that quote of, you can't teach what you don't practice. That was like, yes, you summed it up for me. That's all I needed uh, for the conversation, that, that right there. And it goes back to this idea of as an educator, how are you going to, and as a parent, as a teacher overall, whether it's you know your career or if it's something that you're doing just as part of your parenting, how are you going to really be effective if you are not showing proof of that thing? And so again, going back to that, I think, you know, as we discussed and had that conversation around the idea of social emotional well-being being applied and not necessarily just knowledge, but actually applying it as an educator myself, I know that for us, we've gone through years of school and with that, you know, a lot of it has been about collecting knowledge. We not necessarily applying that knowledge especially something like social and emotional well-being that we sometimes haven't even gotten the knowledge on because that wasn't necessarily something that was covered. And so it's so important as well to make sure that we are incorporating these things in our day-to-day life and that we are not just reviewing and reading, but also actually being intentional about walking through those steps. Another thing that I really enjoyed and loved about this conversation was how Lorea talked about how social emotional well-being and that self-care piece are so intertwined and how important it is for us to be reflective and to have that awareness to then be able to support us in that self-care piece. And so again, making those connections between these concepts is so key for us to be able to grow in our self-care and also in our social and emotional well-being. And I think the last thing that I want to point out from this conversation is when she said that it starts with the adults. That right there was a whole point and purpose of this podcast is going back to the idea of we start with the adults. As adults, if we are in a space where we have learned these skills, we can both teach it explicitly, meaning we walk our children through the things that we're doing in terms of our well-being, but then also we teach it just through our modeling. And I said that was the last thing, but something else I want to link to here. For those of you that are listening to this podcast, I honestly feel like in a lot of ways, I'm probably preaching to the choir. A lot of you, the fact that you're listening to this podcast means that you're probably folks that care about well-being and care about self-care. You are probably already implementing a lot of these things in your life. Perhaps you want to get better in some areas. Maybe you're still at the beginning of your journey, but whatever, it's still something that you view as important and something that you want to do. And so also when Loria mentioned the idea that this isn't something new, this is something, it's not something added on. I'm talking particularly for the educators and the teachers out there. This is not just another thing. This is something that you may already be doing. It's just now making it 
explicit and then also being intentional in your actions of doing it. So those are my key takeaways from this episode. And I would love to hear what your key takeaways are. Something else that I've decided to do in celebration for Lorea, I'm so proud of her, is I am going to be giving away two copies of her new book, Heart and Mind. And what I would like for you to do if you want to get access to one of these books is I would love for you to go on to the Apple iTunes website or your app if you're using it. And I would like for you to rate and review this podcast. So once you've rated and reviewed the podcast, you can send me an email to drtiabarnes at gmail.com, or you can just connect with me on any of those other social media sites and say, hey, you know, I've gone on and I've rated and reviewed. And once we, I'm going to give this a week. So from the time this episode drops, which is going to be on the 21st, so you'll have from the 21st to the 28th, we may extend it for another week, depending on how many folks have a chance to go in and rate and review, but you can rate and review. Let me know you've done it. And then I'm going to just put all the names of all the people that have contacted me about rating and reviewing and just do a random drawing. And the two people that win, you will get an email from me or a DM or whatever way you've contacted me letting you know that you've won and asking for some information so that we can go ahead and send you your copy of this book. Again, please remember to rate and review. And also for those of you who are interested in just purchasing the book for yourself, please check out the show notes. We will have the information there. By the time this podcast is released, the book will be available. It's coming out on February 17th. And so it will be available and you can go on to either Lorea's website or the link that is in the show notes to purchase a copy of the book for yourself. Again, it is available as both a hard copy and then also as an ebook. So please, please support this amazing work that she has put out there. All right, guys, that is it for this week. I look forward to talking to you again next week in another solo episode. And until then, please take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please visit drtiabarnes.com for show notes. And while you're there, feel free to leave a note. I'd love to connect. If you like the show, subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about it. Don't forget to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. Thank you to ColetteMcKenzie.com for providing podcast management services for this show. See you all next week. And as always, take care. Take care.